0: The
1: most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week, only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies
2: last. The 3 Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Regina's only downtown brewery. So there's been uh, a lot of news around the sports media world today, and I am here right now to let you know that John Fraser and I, we have a very important announcement that we would like to make Mm -hmm. as well to the world Nothing's changed. We have uh, changed absolutely zero jobs. I probably have about 12 different jobs that I do, and uh, none of them has changed. I think John works for about every car dealership in Saskatoon, and nothing's <laughs> changed there either. So, And we're both still with Three Down Nation. <laughs> yeah,
1: we both still are. See, I would say that's an announcement at its own that, like, hey, we've made it past Labor Day. Uh, does that mean, like, our podcast contract for $0 is guaranteed?
2: I think so. I think at the very... Yes, l- I think at the very least, Glenn a Pile of Bones is stuck with us for the rest of the year now as our official sponsor. Mm. That's right. So, yes,
1: Glenn's stuck. Um, and I think Drew and Dunk, I think uh, you're officially stuck with us as well. At the very um, least stuck with so me, I, I just, can probably give
2: you the boot if I wanted. Oh. Uh, so right, just keep that in right. mind. You know, I am still the boss of this podcast.
1: Right. No, and that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah. Uh, uh i i got nothing you negotiated the pile of bones deal you nego- negotiate the podcast i'm just kind of here and i'm already like the third best co-host for this thing behind ariel and dunk so um
2: we I'm could probably go my- fourth, even because hodge kind of co-hosted an episode
1: T- true 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 so <laughs> i am uh literally the worst um but i'm still here i'm not going to the athletic because you need talent to go to the athletic um
2: yeah. And I don't have a lot of that. No, that's true. And I'm just a boring jerk, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a reference that no one will get other than me and John and a few other people and that's, that's just fine by
1: me. Sometimes you just have to wrap those good old jokes up in a good old fashioned bale and uh, just slide them on in there. Just a bale of jokes. As- like a hay bale.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Something that isn't a bale of jokes,
1: uh, John, uh, what's in the glass this week? In the glass this week, uh, a little Nokomis Pale Ale, one of my go-tos all the time when I go to my favorite liquor store and I'm like, oh, the pile of bones is sold out, I guess I better get myself some Nokomis, because that does actually happen sometimes up here at the Sobeys Liquor Store, so uh, Nicomis Pale Ale in the glass, going back to another one of my favorites, uh, liking a little bit darker, a little bit hoppier as we get towards Mm -hmm. the fall season. Absolutely,
2: and um, for me, I'm going on the lighter side because, well, I'm celebrating the fact this week that local Saskatchewan beer has finally made its way into Mosaic Stadium. I know Mark Heisey and the guys at Rebellion, they've been on this thing for about four years now trying to make this happen, so I am drinking the beer that sold out before halftime, the Rebellion Lentil Cream Ale, which is just a delicious, light beer. Probably, I would call it Saskatchewan's light beer. And I was, just, I was just so thrilled to see them in there along with Churchill and uh, Prairie Sun this week. And there's three others. They'll be kind of going on a rotating basis for the final games of the year and hopefully on and into the future. But it was just great to see. And the fact that I know the Rebellion sold out before half. Prairie Sun sold out sometime later in the second half. I don't have the numbers on what happened with churchill Churchill's beer. But regardless, John, I know you're pretty excited too that It's too bad it it wasn't the game you were at, but hey, it's finally there and all involved finally got their collective stuff together and made this happen because I think it's something a lot of people in the community have wanted for a long time.
1: Well, and especially when your only option is pill. I know I'm going to piss off a lot of people (laughs) fan base, but pill sucks. Pill is not good, unless it's like ice, ice, ice cold, which is why I feel like they have all these state-of-the-art taps and stuff at New Mosaic just to keep the pill cold so it's tolerable longer. So I, I, I have to admit, quite green with envy, that the game I was not at, tons of craft beer. Um, I would have probably sold it out of, I probably just would have walked up and be like, how many can you sell me? And then turn around <laughs> and put on a mustache and then put on a hat and then change jerseys. And I would have got the max number of beers, put them all in my arms and can them through the Labor Day Classic, because, who boy, as a Bomber fan, you usually need to be, as I would call it, zesty while uh, you're in Regina for Labor Day.
2: Absolutely, and I think uh, the way that game went probably helped with the beer sales a little bit, uh, for different reasons at different points mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, the first half, uh, entertaining half of football, uh, kind of a little bit of a back and forth, but as I wrote on my piece on Three Down Nation... It was pretty easy to say that the Riders were only in that game through 30 minutes because of three big plays. And if it wasn't for that, the yes. Bombers should have been blowing out the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. But as they've done time and time again this year, and this is kind of going to be the bulk of our conversation tonight on this show, today on this show, this evening on the show, this morning on the show, depending on whenever you're listening... Um, Is kind of the big picture and where this team is at now. Because it was five games ago now we started talking and I wrote the piece that this, the stretch of games against Western opponents was going to define their season. And yes, there's still one game left in this stretch, but I'm not really going to put too much stock into that one game at this point. It's one game. It's a one game sample size and anything can happen, Mm -hmm. especially when it's the Banjo Bowl. But I think what we've learned over the last five games, and it really did start with those two losses in Calgary, against Calgary and in Edmonton, was that this team is mentally tough. This team battles, and now they're finding ways to win football games when maybe they shouldn't at times. And that's a really good trait to have. And I will argue that this stretch is going to make them a good football team and possibly even a championship caliber football team because they've been through the battles. They've been down in games. They've come back and won games. They're not, you know, they haven't been the Calgary Stampeders who kind of just roll through the regular season Then adversity strikes in the Great Cup and they lose. If all of a sudden in a playoff game uh-huh. the Riders are down like 10 nothing in the first quarter, they're not going to panic because they've already been through it all. And so this ability of, for them to mentally gather themselves, not get shaken by anything that's happened either on or off the field the way it has at times this year, is going to pay off for them in the long run.
1: And I get to use one of my favorite lines here, Joel. If immediately after the Montreal debacle, the Montreal low point of the season, you would come to me and said, John, I have a crystal the ball heading into the Banjo Bowl. The Riders will be on a winning streak, and they'll be second in the West. I would have said, Joel, are you on glue? And I
2: probably would have been if I said that.
1: Yeah, probably. Probably. (laughs) You you know, we've texted each other some off-the-wall hot takes after one too many IPAs that we forget are strong in the alcohol content. But, like... That would have been completely off the wall. Um, I, I I second everything you said. This team, the way they've come together, and I was really impressed. I know we've harped on the offense a little bit, that they are the weaker of, of, I would say, all three faucets of, of, of a football game. I would say their special teams has been real good this year. The defense has been real good, but mm-hmm. – I mean, especially what, what's his name, Jeter, there during the during the Labor Day Classic, just flying down the field and just blowing up what looked like promising returns to the Bombers. You got to have—I love those high-energy, you know, high-character guys on a team like this. As you mentioned, it's a lot of character. But one thing that's really impressed me lately with the offense—and still—they have an inability from time to time to score points, but it's their ability to sustain long drives you know you still have your odd hiccup you still have your odd two and out but dating back to the game i was at when they played calgary it seems like this this team has the ability to take the ball deep in their own territory drive it down and then right now unfortunately they're either turning it into three points or some really good field position through a coffin corner punt etc to me that's quite promising because it's It's hard to sustain drives in this league without, you know, making a a boneheaded mistake, like throwing to the wide side with real floater ball that Ed Gainey can just go up and basically, you know, make a crazy athletic play, but just go up and get Um, the mistakes have been limited, especially with Caleros in there. I think that maybe they're just a look or two away or something on the drawing board away from you know, turning some of those long drives into touchdowns. And and that's the most promising part to me, because as you've said, we know who the defense we're going to be. We're starting to see that this offense, again, can they win them a shootout? I don't know. But I don't think they're going to have to, because that defense and special teams is just so good. I don't think you'll see this team in a, you know, like, remember that game against Montreal after the Great Cup year, the double overtime, the 50-some points on each side. I don't think they're going to be in a game like that because the other two two facets of the game are just that good.
2: No, that and that's probably a fair assessment. But and, it, and the way the game went on Sunday in the Labor Day Classic, the way the first half went, you thought, okay, this is probably going to be the day where the offense had to step up. And instead, the defense still made the right adjustments in the second half because they were gashed in the first half along the ground. <laughs> they oh, oh, yeah. there was uh, and if we were going to talk about a flaw maybe uh, or maybe not a flaw but just a, a weakness a little bit within this defense is the lack of a true middle linebacker and we've mm-hmm. we've harped on that one a lot uh, especially preseason on there, and I think the Bombers exposed that a little bit. Now, the loss, Mikhail Brooks not playing in that game certainly had an effect on the defensive line as well and led to a lot more 30 fronts than maybe Chris Jones would have normally used against Andrew Harris, and he certainly took advantage of that in the first half. But ultimately, as much as Andrew Harris went off in the first half and then the fourth quarter when he returned to the game, they put up the yards, but there was never, there was a few big plays, but that never really helped them find the end zone. So they basically, they no. they bent but didn't break on the run game and forced Matt Nichols to beat them through the air. And whether it was Nichols, the receiver, some combination of both, it wasn't there. And so no. if that was the game plan or not, I don't know. I'm not in Chris Jones's head. He's obviously never going to admit that, but it worked. So yes. that's it, 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 and the, that's all you really can say about it.
1: The only thing that worries me a bit is, again, moving forward, a bit of a weak spot in in that defense is that you are able to run the ball against Saskatchewan. as you mentioned, they've done a phenomenal job of bending but not breaking. Um, If you have a quarterback that not is the quintessential game manager Trent Dilfer of the CFL in Matt Nichols, if you have a guy back there that can actually beat you with his arms paired with a guy like Andrew Harris I think maybe the Riders are in a bit of trouble in a game like that. Now, not everybody has an Andrew Harris. I would even argue that
2: no one star, does.
1: Running, backs, yeah, star <laughs> running backs in the CFL are becoming few and far between. I mean, you could start making the case for what Alex Green did, minus the fumble in the Labor Day Classic between Hamilton and Toronto. By the way, Josh Smith reference. For Absolutely. no reason at all, just just name name, name dropping Josh.
2: Well, Josh um, was the one who didn't think Alex Green was going to be Hamilton's running back. It was Mike who picked that. So, and then Josh subsequently called him an idiot for it. So, you know, we know who the John Fraser of that podcast is. Is all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> we are both similar in <laughs> stature, but not similar in beard. Um, hey, my hot take on Charleston Hughes though is working out so far. Let's just on a tangent there. Let's just point that out. But. I think the Riders could be up against it a little bit if they do. If a team can cut, formulate a good plan to run the ball while also having a quarterback that you know isn't
2: Matt Nichols. I mean, Matt Nichols had a bad game, and that's and it's had a few, but that's he's still better than a few other pivots in this league. But regardless, the defense made Please. the defense made the adjustments that they had to, and special yeah. teams. I mean, ultimately, it was still the defense and special teams that won them the game. But if we're talking about the offense, what really – and you talked about the sustained drives, which were obviously important. But to me, it was, it was, it was a clutch fourth quarter. It was times where yeah. they stepped up and they made plays. And they score fourteen points in the fourth quarter, which is practically an eruption for this offense. So, and it was it were they were very important touchdowns. And the moment that really sticks out to me in terms of this offense and Steve McAdoo occasionally actually going against his nature and using it to his advantage, Uh, we saw it once before in Hamilton, and then he pulled it out again this week against Winnipeg. I was sitting in the press box. I was sitting next to Woodsy and uh, a couple other guys, and they turned to me and they said, "It was that third and it was that two and second and third play from around the forty yard line." Yep, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna run. There's no way they're not gonna run the football here. And then he drops back, and Clara subsequently hits a 39-yard pass to Williams Lambert, which obviously caught. No, absolutely. I love the two. I just I did not expect it. It's not a moment I. And I firmly applaud Steve McAdoo because I'm a guy who, despite criticism, will give credit where it's due, and it's due on that play because in that moment. They might have seen something or they decided, and I believe Chris Jones said it afterwards, and I'm this guy. They played to win the game. And that's what they did on that play, and it paid off in spades. I know Drew Edwards tweeted after that it still wasn't the right call. He doesn't care if they made it, or he might have said it in our group chat either way. And I was just like, no. You play to win the game. They took a shot there, and they were were still on the edge of field goal range. So even if it's incomplete, they still kick a field goal regardless. So... I thought that was that was just that moment where I'm like, there it is. There he pulled that out in Hamilton. He finally pulled it out again, where Steve McAdoo used his conservative nature to his advantage, and it paid off in a big way.
1: Well, and two to disagree with Drew here, it's pretty what they saw was one on one coverage with Jordan Williams Lambert, and probably enough time that you know nobody's really coming after Caleros. They're trying to plug the holes for what they're thinking as a run here on, on on second down, right? So if you're quarterback starting quarterback in the CFL and you can't hit a receiver like Jordan Williams Lambert in one-on-one coverage and at least put the ball someplace where it's catchable and make the defense make a great play you probably shouldn't be starting in the CFL and that right there was showing that Calero still has stuff left in the tank that can elevate his game and elevate this team to the next level i love that play because you and i exactly exact same mindset play to win the game i thought they should have went for two after the next touchdown just to really put the boot down on the throat it's
2: they could have it
1: all the way around i I, I thought they should have. i mean again it's nitpicky at this point but i thought you know your worst case scenario your absolute worst case scenario you're up by seven this popgun offense led by Captain Noodlearm needs to go out and try to score against the you know the best defensive unit of the CFL right now. Instead, let your offense go out there and win the game. Let them win the game because there's no way Captain Checkdown would be able to get all the way down the field twice. Never mind the one time if you failed.
2: Yeah, I, I, I completely see that side, and I would have had no problem with going for two in the play. But I don't think there was anything wrong with it. Was it was a win win scenario. Because right. even if, because they obviously converted the one and they went up eight, if the odds of the, the offense going against that defense and going down and scoring a touchdown and then a two-point conversion were pretty minuscule. So they were basically in a win-win situation regardless there. So I don't have a problem with the call either way. Now, if we're going to get nit- nitpicky about the offense and about things that maybe went wrong in this game a little bit, because, you know, no football game is perfect. And every coach right. will tell you that. And as the, as the old saying goes, you're never as bad as you look in a loss. And you're never as good as you look on a win when you watch the film the next day, right? So um, the, immediately what stood out, of course, was the short yardage unit. And the riders may have set a record for combined yards to get first downs in short <laughs> yardage because seemingly all of them, except for Nick Marshall's touchdowns, where he finally broke the plane by, going, by uh, breaking the pocket, they were all by like the nose of the football, so I'm not even sure. Sh- they probably picked up you know, how many times did they go? Three times probably for a first down and they probably picked up like three point one yards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Every single moment. Maybe that's why the beer sales were so strong. Is cause the after the after those nervous plays you just need you just need to drink, chill yourself out a little bit. Um And I know you were going to bring it up, but I'll beat you to it here, stealing Mm -hmm. your thunder. That one play, and I don't know if it was the camera angle, and I was watching, you were at the press box, I was watching at at home. Yeah. Where, like, the football goes down, the chains don't quite look tight, the nose doesn't quite look like it's there. And they just kind of nonchalantly go, yeah, well, they're closing up, first down. And even, like, Cuthbert and Suter seem to be surprised. Then I was surprised that there was no challenge on the spot of the ball. It was just – it was kind of like a – did they did they really get that? So I would argue, Joel, after watching that play, they may have gotten 2.9 yards to get three yards because I don't <laughs> think that – I don't think that one was there. It might have been a camera trick, but that one had me going, huh, I think that's a turnover, and cracking another beer, and then just – it just was very odd how chill everybody was about it. Like, I just – I can't really get over that.
2: Yeah, and it very well. It could like the angle of whether it was over the marker or not for a first down could have been one of those old tricks of the like the camera angle trick, like right. when they described uh, that goal against the Calgary Flames in the Tampa Bay Lightning series in the Stanley Cup a number of years ago, where because it's from the side, it looks like the puck is over the line when yes. really we, it wasn't. So maybe it was one of those things. But to me, what, what to me the weirdness of that whole play and it was that you said it was okay, the chain wasn't didn't appear to be fully. Stretched, and the ball yeah. certainly the, the ball certainly one hundred percent was not like right against the the marker. So yeah. I don't I don't think there was anything nefarious going on there. There was no grand conspiracy, no. as I'm sure some people would have loved to c- cried if it went the other way. But yeah, it was just, it, that was one of those weird ones, and maybe they didn't get it, maybe they did. But I mean, ultimately, it didn't seem like the bombers had that big of a problem with it. So to me, that suggests okay, I guess they're all pretty happy that they got it or it wouldn't have been overturned in review, so we're just going to go with it, I guess. And ultimately, there was still enough field position left that the Bombers should have been able to get a stop at that point regardless, so oh, it probably oh, wasn't sure. worth the challenge.
1: Yes, and another thing that came up during the win, and, and this, is, this is nothing of the team, yeah. it's the fact that why are people starting the wave while the team's on offense at no point in a football game should the players have to sit up behind the bench? And this happened. The wave also happened in the game I was at. And normally I'm very pro-wave. There are people that hate the wave. Damn it, I love the wave. But there's a time and a place for the wave. Do not start the wave when your team is on offense. Yeah. No, just never do it. Like, why, why are you making noise now? And part of this, part of this, Joel, comes down to the Riders game day staff. Who, by the way, great job. But I think they're missing one thing everywhere you go in seattle of the nfl everywhere you go like the best the nfl teams other cfl teams they put up basically a sign that says shut up and much politer it's usually like at yeah work.
2: quiet offensive work if they have them in pittsburgh it says quiet ben at work is usually what it says
1: it, Ooh, i like that yeah I, I really do like that but if the <laughs> pittsburgh steelers the multiple-time Super Bowl champions, one of the greatest franchises in pro sports history, has to put up a sign that says "Shut up!" While these guys are on offense, for the writers to say, "Man, <laughs> we don't need to. Our fans are so smart." Clearly, you do. Just put it up. People will sit down and shut up as they need to. Then all of a sudden, everybody's grumpy, and guys like me that love the wave are begrudgingly, like, doing the little, like, you know, hand-up thing but like just again great game great atmosphere and a lot of people don't know this because a lot of people are experiencing football for their first time put the sign up you can put literally anything on that board you make gainer pop up whenever you want just make a little sign just rip off tim and Sid. make a relax
2: Yeah, and I I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's not really an organizational issue with it, because I remember there was, it was late in the Corey Chamberlain era when they started like the make some noise signs and everything to try and get the fans to start making noise while the other team was in the huddle, because the fans got more into the habit of making noise on defense when they had already got to the line of scrimmage, which they already Mm. know, they already know the play at this point. So that was kind of the whole point, they were trying to get that going again. And then some people in Saskatchewan got upset about that, like, oh, we know football, we, we know what's going on, we don't need those kind of prompts. I'm like, well, everywhere in the world has them, but whatever, fine. And I, I, I've i been at field level at the clo- at the end of enough football games where the offense has to go down and do something. And it's not, like, defense loud, but it's still significantly loud enough that I'm like, yeah, they could use a prompt to say, hey, the, the offense is at work, maybe keep it down a little bit. And yeah. I know that always gets people in Saskatchewan upset, but get over it. It's not a big deal. It, no one's pride is hurt by doing this. And maybe it doesn't actually help anything. Because the, another issue, if we want to talk about the noise on offense at Mosaic like Stadium during that game, there were times when the offense was in the huddle and the drumline is banging out. And that's, that's something the team can actually control because it's like, hey, drumline, we pay you or whatever they do. Stop that. <laughs>
1: yeah, and that and that's true. How much you want to bet the drum line is probably suspended for a couple of games?
2: Uh probably not.
1: No, well, they're they're I, they're I, they're
2: a great part of the game day experience. I love listening to the drum I line know. before the game Sounds so good. It's not. It's no, there's there's nothing going on there.
1: Um, I I, but but still, they need to maybe just like go to their meeting while they got their drums and their sticks and just be like, okay, guys, so offense, no drummy, defense, much drummy.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, I that's it. maybe with like actual English, but yeah,
1: yeah, that's no, 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 no. I think that needs to be on a three down nation officially sanctioned shirt sure. offense. No drumming defense. Drummy. <laughs>
0: Oof.
2: So a little bit ago, you ripped off Tim and Sid. And so I'm going to do that again right now because okay. we are heading into the banjo bowl now. And the Riders have a tendency to lose that football game, I think. Not as much as the Bombers lose the Labor Day Classic, but it's true. It's about 500 or so in that one, I think, in the Banjo Bowl without looking
1: it up. They got beat by Alex Brink once. That's all you need to be said.
2: Yeah. So, and I've noticed over the last, for a good chunk of this season, whenever the three down nation power rankings come out every week, the team that's in second place in those rankings, because Calgary's been in first place most of the year, Mm
0: -hmm. tends
2: to lose that week if they're playing. Mm -hmm. So today, I decided to sit down and I went back because we have a handy spreadsheet with all the power rankings for the year on it in our little uh, online setup, and so I went back and looked at them all, and I decided to check the results of the games every week for the team in second place. Now, there are some weeks where the team in second place had a bye, and they did not play, so they don't count in this report. But right. Since the start of the season, precisely five times, four times. Precisely, it was since week five. Let's go since week five. Because remember this off the top of my head for sure. Since week five, precisely once. Yeah, it's four times. Once has the team ranked second in the three-down nation power rankings won that week. The first five Hmm. weeks, Calgary won the first two weeks, so that doesn't really count. We foolishly had them at second. Week three, Hamilton was second. They won. And after that, I think there was a week somewhere in the middle where Winnipeg was ranked second and they happened to win a game. Beyond that, every other team ranked second either didn't play that week or they lost. Hmm. So I'm asking you, John Fraser, as I put on Mm -hmm. my um, Tim McAuliffe hat here. Okay. Superstat or meaningless number? the record of teams ranked second in the three down nation power rankings.
1: I'm actually going to say super stat on this one. And it's not a super stat in the way you'd think that we're cursing teams that, you know, <laughs> Oh no, it's like the Madden cover curse three down nation cursing teams. I think it's a super stat that really reflects how good this season continues to be. And with Montreal's resurgence, I think we firmly hit a point where you've got Calgary and kind of everybody else. I mean if I was to throw two teams at you right now, it, like let's say the riders are in second place in the power rankings. Which That's they are where i put them.
2: Which they are this week, by the way, so take that in consideration when making your predictions this week, everyone.
1: Exactly. If you said the second place riders, well, Pipkin got hot, they blew one in Montreal. At this point, the surprise would be like, uh, oh, yikes. But not a complete shock like it seemed to be at the beginning of the season. So I think it is a super stat in a way to reflect how competitive the CFL season has been and continues to be heading into the season second half.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, it's competitive in the sense that I don't think other than Calgary and even they've come down to earth a little bit. No one's mm. really truly that elite. Like there isn't like that run, those runaway teams. We thought we saw yeah. it early on. It looked like it was going to be Calgary, Edmonton and Winnipeg as kind of the runaway teams of the league this year. and they've you know, other than Calgary, the others have definitely fallen back from the cap pack. Yeah. Calgary, while still the best team in the league, still looks beatable at this point. And some yep. Eskimos said as much today and I don't disagree with anything they said in that regard which in the long run as we discussed earlier might be good for Calgary to actually go through some adversity in the regular season for a change. So Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean the, the this doesn't guarantee the Riders are going to lose this week because they're ranked second in the three down nation power rankings. Um, the numbers suggested might happen, but you know, it's it's just it's weird and it just shows to kind of how all over the place this CFL season has been. And I've been in a little bit of a conversation with some Argos fans on Twitter about this this week because they, they don't think they're that out of it at this point, which I guess in theory they're not. But they're going to have to be better than Winnipeg at this point. Otherwise, they're going to have to be better than two teams, or mm-hmm. they, uh, better than Ottawa and Hamilton. And that's if Montreal s- stops their surge too. So they're in a battle all of a sudden just to you know not even be last in the East where it's just when you think you have this league figured out this year, it seems like some it goes the exact opposite way because I, I remember last year, last year in con in you know last year in retrospect looked pretty predictable because I went through the entire season on our three down predictions without having a losing record. I went at least two and two every week. Most weeks I went three and one. Humble brag, right? And. <laughs> Since this year, I've had you know I've had one or two, one in three weeks. I've had a lot of two in two weeks. I think I've maybe had like one three in one week, and I don't think I'm alone in that one because this season has just been has been all over the place. And it's 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 from a fan's perspective, it's fun. From a prognosticator's ex- perspective, it makes you want to rip your hair out. But you know, as observers of the league, and I think this past weekend was a great example of it. That was probably one of the best Labor Day weekends, start to finish. In a long time, all of those games were fun to watch.
1: Yeah, not a single blowout until, you know, a couple games got out of reach late uh, Toronto Hamilton in that one. It's just, it was a great weekend of football. And although I do think that we have explained why the Riders could potentially lose as number two in the power rankings, it'll now entirely be our fault for bringing it up and Three Down Nation's fault for putting them in second and robble, robble, robble. And when the riders lose the Banjo Bowl, so I I'm going to accept responsibility now. Go ahead, leave it in the comments. Your
2: the comments to are closed.
1: Comments, you no. Oh, you mean we? Can't, I can't get to hear how much I suck every week.
2: No, I, I mean if you really want to make fun of John Fraser, feel free to tweet him at Fraser PXP. Um, but yeah, when Drew went on vacation, he turned the comment section off, and then he came back, and we've just kind of we've kind of left it off because I think we've come to
1: enjoy the
2: peace and quiet a little bit.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah, no. At Fraser PXP, bring it on. Tell me I suck because I know you will. CSL burner accounts.